Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. From days long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The dream that came through a million years, that lived on through all the tears. It came here, the Fandom Nexus. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to our host as he plugged in his microphone. I have a podcast! Here he is, your Spider-Pan, Jeremy. Hello, my friends. Yes, I am back a little later than I expected to be back, but I am back. And uh, it's going to be a little different this week because I am flying solo. I haven't done a solo show in in a while now. I like having a a co-host with me, and either Eric or Philip will usually be with me. Uh, Philip and I, we tend to end up making like near two-hour shows because we've known each other forever and we can just jabber on and on. But uh, with me, I I promise, this will probably only be an hour-long show like I used to do. Uh, And boy, it's been a long time since, you know, back in the days when I used to do this show by itself or by myself. And uh, I, I figure I've gotten a lot better at this since then. I would hate to have to go back and re-listen to my old shows to see how much more I have improved at this. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if you really feel like torturing yourself, uh, go ahead. I'll wait. I, I Believe me, i got a warm beverage right here. I'll just sip at this for a while. Ah, yes. Some nice, uh, I found this thing. It's a mocha mo- a macchiato. It's basically, it's a cappuccino. But it's chocolate, so it's like having hot chocolate that's coffee. I mean, yeah, can you get better than that, really? I mean, it's a coffee, it's a it's a it's a hot cocoa. I mean, it's it's like a perfect thing when you're cold because it is, oh it is cold out here in the Midwest. I'm actually just getting over a cold, which is what slowed us down. It's also Philip and Eric both uh, have that same cold. This cold bug has been going around getting everybody. Even Scott Morse of Disney, Indiana has caught in this cold bug. I have co-workers that got this cold bug. There's people getting all over the place. You know, we got so used to dealing with COVID that we forgot what an actual ordinary cold is. But yeah, this week, Moon Knight, we've gotten to see a nice full trailer of Moon Knight. Uh, and heck, I've got a review of Free Guy coming up here. Also, some of the big things that happened over this past week is Microsoft purchased Activision. Uh, we're going to talk all about that. So many different things going on in video games right now. Uh, in fact, you know, heck, I've been playing some new games. Uh, well, no, well, new to me. <laughs> a bit. I've been diving into some different games. And of course, you know, we always start the show off with a bit of host chatter. And we like to ask, of course, first, what have you been watching? And of course, I'm going to answer to that the book of Boba Fett. I'm still watching that and I'm still enjoying it. I, you know, I've seen some people that there's people who aren't enjoying it for whatever reason. And some of the weirdness, I guess, that people thought is that uh, biker gang. I'm going to sip my coffee again. That biker gang we saw a couple episodes ago and that they had the different color colored uh, speeder bikes. Some people thought that was just weird. I've seen people saying 
It feels more cyberpunk because we have this gang of people that they're outfitting themselves with droid parts. Well, the interesting thing about that is, you know, you when you consider Darth Vader, you know, he had uh, basically, can we say droid parts for legs and an arm? Didn't Luke get a uh, prosthetic hand? You know, that's robotic parts. So, I don't know, people wanting to replace, or you know, limbs with uh, with droid bits and the way it was presented like a tattoo parlor. <laughs> I didn't find it all that weird. That seems to still fit within universe to me. But I saw somebody saying, that feels more like cyberpunk and not Star Wars. Well, you know, that seems to still have a place within Star Wars. And then you know, these people who choose to maybe have a part added on or maybe they needed to have a part added in because they've lost a limb. I, you know, who's who knows? So, I mean, that just it, it just kind of seems to make sense in uh, the world of Star Wars. And then I've seen someone who was fussing, apparently, that they said, well, Boba Fett's not anything like what we know him to be. And to which the reply that somebody gave, and I think this was pretty brilliant. Well, okay, he had seven lines, was on the screen for ten minutes, maybe, you know, in the original trilogy. Uh, you know, what makes you so sure you know everything about Boba Fett? You know, you did get a little bit more about his childhood uh, for from the uh, prequel movies and a little bit during the Clone Wars. You know, you got to see him pop up. I think even in Rebels, I think he popped up a little bit, too, as a child. So, I mean, we, we've only got a little bit. And how do you know what you're going to be like after you've had such a near-death experience when you've been down the gullet of uh, of the uh, Sarlacc pit there? Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to... Make you rethink things. And that's part of what's been going on with, you know, the flashbacks is he's tired of working for other people and not getting to do it the smart way. He knew it wants to work for himself. He's had a different, uh, he's got a new perspective as he's come out of that Sarlacc pit. Even perhaps a new perspective as he's spent some time with the sand people, Tuscan Raiders, which was nice to have a little bit more depth added to those other than the Knights of the Old Republic game, which I did recently replay that one. Uh, you get to spend a little time in there and get a look at uh, some of how they behave. And, you know, maybe they've come up with reasons on why they're attacking everybody, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, I it's had a lot of depth and I, we've completed our flashbacks. He's healed up in the back of the tank. And I think we're going to begin things in earnest. The one thing that's been interesting to me is he's been seeing this other gang that's been leaving these two um, kind of twin symbols around, which I thought they were symbols maybe representing the twin huts. But apparently that is not the case. It has something to do with this other larger syndicate, which is going to be, I think, his main antagonist for the rest of this series, which, you know, I don't know how many more episodes we have of it, but I'm enjoying it. But uh, the last episode... There was a little bit of a hint of music from the Mandalorian. So I expect we're going to see uh, what is it? Din is his name. Uh, I expect we might see him up here in the next few episodes. So, yeah, that's that's been a great show. I've been really enjoying it. But, you know, going along with what I've been watching is what I've been playing, as I mentioned, with Star Wars. I over this past uh, week, I have finished playing Jedi Fallen Order, a Star Wars game uh, from you know a couple years ago. Uh, I think I mentioned that Eric did go and get a platinum when I was kind of looking to see, you know, if there was anything, what, what you know, what it would take to get a platinum. I was kind of curious and I saw, well, Eric's gotten the platinum. Let's see what he's done. So I can ask him for tips, you know, if I need to. But after looking at some of the things, I'm not really a big fan of collecting unless it's like a simple, oh, just go over here and grab this. Jedi Fallen Order, you had to do some serious stuff to go and grab items, and it's not as interesting for me for collecting. So that's, I, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to go for the platinum, but I did complete the story. And what a story it is, and a great appearance by Darth Vader that it's uh, remind me of Rogue One, and I believe some of the things I've been saying about Rogue One is they reminded us that Darth Vader was kind of scary when we were kids, when he came out. He was this big villain in black, and, you know, he was he was a bad guy. And I, I feel like they tapped back into it. We had a scary appearance by Darth Vader where he was there, and I did. I was lightsaber ready. I was like, okay, I, I think I'm going to have to fight him. But there was no fighting Darth Vader. Sip again. Mm hmm. There is no fighting Darth Vader. He just, you know, put me in a joke lock and I had to use the force to bring it through bring a thing down to hit Darth Vader in the back and then run away. And then while you're trying to run away, he is like tearing up the ground beneath you. And oh, my goodness, it was fantastic. And just when you think he got away, you go through a door and there he is again. And like, man, 
Uh, it was just a great appearance with Darth Vader reminding us why he was terrifying when we were children and why we knew him as the, the one of the greatest bad guys we ever came across when we were young. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed finally getting around to playing that game. And since that time, uh, you know, you know, I, I went and I played Knights of the Old Republic again because it was made available on the Switch. Uh, it was even on sale. And that was fun just to get back into an old familiar game like that because I, I, I hadn't played it in a long time. And it's just such a great game. I did notice, though, it crashed quite a bit, but I think it used to do that on the old PC as well. <laughs> so you want to make sure you save often because you never know when that game was going to crash. But oh my goodness, it was fun to get through and play that again. And it was re-released by Aspire, the same people who are currently working on the remake that will actually have a version on the PlayStation. Now, uh, what it what entails on that remake, I'm not entirely sure. You know, it could be... They're going to reskin it. They could be making it from the ground up. I would kind of appreciate kind of how the Final Fantasy VII remake, how they uh, how they altered the combat. I would like to see the combat done in Knights of the Republic like that, where it's more of a hands on combat. And then you can kind of stop things and use some special ability or tag to somebody else in your party, that kind of thing. It was great the way they did the combat. And I was even in a conversation with the real Brian from the real Brian show on how we don't like turn based combat in the like the old Final Final Fantasy game. Some people really enjoy that. But, you know, I don't. Um, And Knights of the Republic has a great little blend of kind of more real time action. And, uh, you know, making that a little bit more fighting game style. I think that could work. And heck, uh, oh, wow, I almost I didn't want to call it Bioshock. That's not right. But uh, Bioware. Uh, Bioware has done some combat style game. There was a game they created, uh, Jade Empire, I played a long time ago. Uh, that was pretty good. I only played through it once, and then I sold it back to a, a game store. But it was more of combat based. It was a uh, kind of a kung fu style, uh, and it was a very combat thing. It was, it was pretty good. I, I had fun with it. Uh, but it was more uh, more hands on in the combat. Uh, but you know, since completing Knights of the Republic again, I uh, finally sat around and played Civilization Six. Even though I've enjoyed some previous Civilization games, I didn't really have as much fun with Civilization Six. So I'm finally sitting down and I'm playing some of these games that I've been having sitting around here uh, that I ordered. Uh, I bought digitally like a long, long time ago. Some of these things, some of them over a years, you know. And I'm finally sitting down and playing it, and I, you know, I still have not finished Red Dead Redemption 2, because for some reason, I mean, that game is just big and it's long, and I'm at the point where I'd love to be able to just fast travel everywhere, but you can only fast travel when you're at your main camp, and you can fast travel to a destination, but then you got to ride back, and the, the scope of that game is so big, and it is a great game, but my goodness, I was just kind of getting tired of playing it. <laughs> it. It just wasn't holding my interest anymore. So I wanted to play something else. So now I'm playing Resident Evil 5, which I've played through before, a long time ago when it first came out, I rented it on the Xbox uh, 360 and now I'm playing it on the PS4. Uh, I got it as part of a collection where I also have six and I've never played six other than a demo. And I wasn't I didn't enjoy the demo and I've heard enough things. Resident Evil six was almost killed, almost killed the franchise until seven just relaunched it. And seven Resident Evil seven was great. And I'm a fan of just Resident Evil games, so. It's nice to get in there and play that again. I started that up. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much what I've been watching, what I've been playing. And now... I hit the... I always hit that wrong button. That's okay. Here we go. Spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. All right, so we're actually going to cover a little bit of Disney. Well, other than uh, I would like to bring up, uh, you know, there was this really cool figment bucket that they had because uh, Epcot is having their uh, international uh, festival right now. I believe of the arts right now. I don't know. See, I don't. I don't pay attention so much to Disney anymore because I really don't have to because <laughs> we're not doing a Disney show. But uh, they did put out a figment bucket that created a super long lines of people who really wanted it. Now, what I'm what I'm wager on this is the people who are waiting in that line are either locals to Florida or people who can frequent the parks. It's not that big a deal. That is not something I think. I mean, the average tourist might want it, but you're not going to stand in line that long for hours for a popcorn bucket of figment when you've got rides and attractions you want to experience. So I figure once again, this is something that uh, ended up being something that the, 
the locals or the frequent park visitors managed to get a hold of and the, the average visitor uh, is just going to have to miss, which I don't know. That seems to be a theme. Uh, it seems to happen a lot when they do these exclusives. Uh, you know, if they'd make these exclusives maybe available online, it might help a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it might make a bit of a difference. Oop, pardon me if I'm making noise. I accidentally knocked over a He-Man figure that's over here on my desk because that's the way it works. Uh, but the Walt Disney Company has recently disclosed the executive compensation for Bob Chapek and even Bob Iger. Now, Chapek's compensation package for the year totaled $32.46 million compared with a $14.1 million in the previous year. That is... More than twice. Oh, that's a, like a double race. That's more than a double. Uh, that reflected the challenge of the coronavirus pandemic and was the first in which Chapek led the company after his elevation in February of 2020. Iger's compensation in his last year with the company totaled of $45.9 million compared with the $21 million in his previous fiscal year, $47.5 million the year before that, and $65.6 million in fiscal 2018, which was boosted by a stock package that he was awarded as an incentive to remain with the company as his originally planned retirement. Now, I'm getting all this from the Hollywood Reporter's website. Now, uh, both of them, they took some pay cuts during the pandemic, and so this is basically just him getting back to his compensation post-pandemic. Well, I'm, I'm quote fingers, post-pandemic, because, uh, I mean, they're still kind of in a way, it doesn't seem to be in pandemic mode, uh, and that you do still have to wear masks uh, when you're in close proximity or when you're inside of a building, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but the, from uh, Susan Arnold, a 14-year-old veteran of the board of directors, uh, she's the new chair succeeding Iger, uh, as Iger is, I think, officially leaving now. Uh, she's got a quote on here. It says, the impact Bob had during his time, talking about by Bob Iger, uh, the impact Bob had during his time at the company is difficult to overstate. During his tenure as CEO, Bob initiated the company's DTC efforts. Uh, I believe that's the... Disney travel? I don't know. Um, pick up where I left off. Expanded on geographic presence, including opening our first theme park and resort in mainland China, and further Disney's rich history of storytelling through landmark acquisitions of Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, and 21st Century Fox. Bob carried the same level of dedication into his role as executive chairman, where he oversaw Disney's creative endeavors, provided audience with engaging stories and compelling characters. Uh, well, so here's the thing. You can say a lot of nice things about Bob Iger, but you know, the, the amount that they're paying Bob Chapek, I, the, the question is, has he been worth it? Now, granted, I guess Disney is making their money and I see people who can defend Disney up and down, right and left, but really with the, some of the changes that have made, it's not making a lot of the typical fans happy. And you've got, even here on this show, I just had to change direction. Because I just I, I couldn't find a lot of positives to say. And I'm more of a vintage Disney fan. As I sip my cocoa coffee. So. I really had to change direction and it, a lot of it is some of the stuff Chapek's doing. And I even saw there was an article that Bob Chapek said something that would be similar to something Walt Disney would say. Uh, and to which I would have to ask just because he would say it doesn't mean he's going to act on it. There's There's a difference between what you say and what you do. And is he really doing what Walt Disney would have done? And that's a whole different question. But yeah, that's the question I pose to you. Uh, let me hear from you. Send us an email, podcast at neverlandpodcast.com or find us on social media. If we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Let me know. What is it you think of, of what Bob Chekovic has done so far? Is he really doing a good legacy for the Walt Disney Company? I don't know. Now, this is kind of an odd thing. Uh, Peter Dinklage apparently had some criticism for a live action version of Snow White. Uh, and basically. So, and it says here also in the Hollywood Reporter, the Emmy winning Game of Thrones star was a guest on Monday's episode of Mark Maron's WTF podcast, where he blasted the announced film based on the 1939 animated classic. After noting the casting of West Side Story breakout Rachel Ziegler, Dinklage told Marin, literally no offense to anyone, but I was a little taken aback when they were very proud to cast a Latina actress for Snow White, but you're still telling the, telling the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Take a step back and look at what you're doing there. It makes no sense to me. You're progressive in one way, but then you still make that backward story about Seven Dwarfs living in a cave together. What are you doing? Have I done nothing to advance the cause of my soapbox? I guess I'm not loud enough. Now, Dinklage isn't involved in the Disney product, 
project, he'd actually made a fun grumpy. But yeah, Disney replied to this. There, here's a quote they have from a Disney spokesman to avoid reinforcing stereotypes from the original animated film. We are taking a different approach with these seven characters and have been consulting with members of the dwarfism community. We look forward to sharing more as the film heads into production after a lengthy development period. Well, we've got also in the live action feature, we've got Tony Award winning Andrew Burnap and Wonder Woman stars Gal Gadot as the evil queen. Mark Webb is directing the retelling, Mark Platt, Oscar-winning producer who also worked on The Little Mermaid, the live-action version of The Little Mermaid for the studio, is producing. But doesn't this just reinforce one of the things we've complained about, that they're remaking these not because they have new and better ways really to tell the story, is that they're trying to... Let's see, where's that quote of exactly how they phrase it? Reinforcing stereotypes from the original animated films. They're finding the animated films to be problematic. And so they feel like they have to remake them, to redo them, to make them more, well, let's just say woke, which we know in a current culture, you're losing money with wokeism, right? Take another sip. But you get so focused on, we're, we're trying to make sure we don't, you know, put in a stereotype or anything. We want to change things that you do. You focus so much on that that you're not telling good stories. And Walt Disney was a storyteller. This is a storytelling company. And I, to me, they're failing in the storytelling department. Uh, I was not a fan of Encanto. I was pretty excited for it. I thought, hey, this will be pretty good. But I watched it. I was like, hmm, well, that was okay. But I expect better out of the Walt Disney company. And I think my phone is going off here. So let me mute that. I apologize for that. All right, but so, but that's part of the problem of why I'm kind of, you know, like, this is not the same Disney that I loved in the 80s and the 90s and maybe even the 2000s that I got excited about when I visited the parks. My one time I've been to a park and I don't know if I'd be as excited going into a park now. I really don't know, but you know, I don't want to, I don't want to harp on that for too long. But they, they seem to have lost their focus. Now, uh, something else interesting happened. Uh, I believe this was still last week. Yeah, January 19th. Uh, we had an emergency alert here in the state of Missouri. This was kind of funny. This came from the state highway patrol and it's uh, they were testing the emergency alert system. Now, you probably are aware of your phone. You can get Amber alerts and that kind of a thing. Well, that's what I originally thought this was. And I was sick last week, so I didn't really look at it too much. I didn't really pay attention to what it was that it wasn't until, you know, this made the, the news, I think even some national news, but uh, they had a Gotham City, <laughs> Gotham City, uh, Missouri sort of thing that popped up. Uh, and they even described like one of the Joker's cars, like a purple Buick with a You Kid Me license plate. Uh, this this was just just crazy and fun and a ridiculous thing to have happen around here. And uh, it actually did cause people to Google search to see if there really is a Gotham City, Missouri. Now, I had when I initially seen the the Gotham thing there, there are streets and, you know, there are sometimes Gotham counties, I think, in some areas. But there is, you know, Gotham is actually used the word, the name, you know, in different places. And I just took it as something as that. I had not paid attention to it when I first saw it. And it turned out, yeah, it was like as if somebody had been running loose from Gotham City, Missouri in a Joker vehicle. So, uh, new games also coming out. And I think this, uh, this is coming out in just a few days, January 28th. I believe we've mentioned this, the uncharted legacy of thieves collection, having both the fourth game and the, well, it's kind of the fifth game, but it's a, a kind of a spinoff game for uncharted coming out in just a few days. Uh, that is the only big thing I know of really coming out other than, uh, let me see here. Well, I guess it's coming up in the trailer park, but we did get an announcement and I, I would love to have had Philip here with me uh, to talk about this. Uh, we'll come up and we'll talk about it later, but we've got an announcement March 11th for the new WWE 2K22 game. This is where they've redone the entire game engine because it, it's it was broken. <laughs> it was just broken. And I only buy one sparingly. I don't get one every year. Philip will buy one every year. But the the quality has deteriorated on those so bad. And, you know, and I've gotten to where I don't even watch WWE. I still like some wrestling, but I you know, like the older stuff and 
perhaps if I hadn't unplugged everything, I'd probably be watching the AEW or something like that. And I, you know, need to get back and watch an NWA now that they're back on YouTube. But I do enjoy wrestling and it's fun mainly for the character creation. That's why I, what I find fun about it is, you know, I can create myself and my friends. And then between Philip and I, we make all these different superhero characters or I get them where other people have made them and I enjoy them. Even our own superhero characters we created when we were like little kids or middle schoolers ourselves. You know, that's the fun of it. But uh, yeah, that is coming out. And we got an announcement for that as well. Uh, got a few things coming around here for February. Uh, Life is Strange Remastered. Uh, it will be coming out on the PC, PS4, and PS5, Stadia, and Xbox. It uh, looks like uh, we're going to have a lot of different um, versions here. There's a Before the Storm, a lot of expansions. I've never played any of the Life is Strange games. They look like they might be interesting. I don't know. Dying Light 2 coming February 4th uh, for pretty much every major system. Uh, I've... I. Th- I've heard of Dying Light. I think that's the one uh, where you're doing some parkour thing and the zombies and stuff like that. I haven't ever played it. Uh, Assassin's Creed, the Ezio collection coming out on the Nintendo Switch as a compilation February 17th. Uh, something called Rumble versus a uh, Rumble versus a battle royale beat em up style um, free to play type of thing coming out pretty much on all systems, except I don't see it on the Switch. Uh, Total War Warhammer 3 is coming on the PC February 17th. A uh, lot of things coming up actually here, uh, including Elden Ring, which a lot of people have been very excited about February 25th on the major consoles other than the Switch. Uh, that's, I believe, from the makers uh, from software, uh, the, the people who do stuff like Bloodborne and Demon Souls games and very difficult games. Uh, there's also Evil Dead the game, because I guess they haven't called it Evil Dead franchise game, just Evil Dead the game. Uh, this may be more following some of the plots of the films compared to some previous games that they've put out. Uh, PC, PS4, PS5, Switch, and Xbox all getting this February 2022, not getting a specific date for that at all, but it's coming. Now, some of the big video game news. Microsoft has acquired Activision Blizzard. Now, I just knew, that, knew it as Activision, but I guess at some point Activision must have acquired Blizzard. Now, this this basically gives Microsoft Overwatch, Diablo, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Candy Crush, and StarCraft. Whew. I mean, then this, I guess all the side things in there uh, include like Treyarch and Raven, High Noon, Beanox, uh, Demonware, Toys for Bob, Shanghai Studios, Solid State Studios. I mean, lots of different little little companies and developers in there. Uh, Microsoft's acquiring Activision Blizzard for $95 per share and an all-cash transaction valued at $68.7 billion, inclusive of Activision Blizzard's net cash. When the transaction closes, Microsoft becomes the world's third largest gaming company by revenue behind Tencent and Sony. Planned acquisition includes iconic franchises from the Activision Blizzard and King Studios, like, as I mentioned, Warcraft, Diablo Overwatch, Call of Duty, and Candy Crush. Uh, they're going to get some global esports activities through Major League Gaming. The company also has some studios around the world with nearly 10,000 employees. Now, uh, people have been basically joking and making jokes on Sony like this is uh, this is a big kick towards Sony because if Microsoft decides that all these game developers are now going to exclusively make games for the Xbox, that's going to hurt Sony. And I, I you know I do love my PlayStation. I uh, when I started getting more updated with games, I mean, I bought an Xbox 360 and I still have it, but it's kind of a, it's not quite a brick. I can still play on it, but I can't connect it to the Internet anymore uh, because they've uh, Microsoft has abandoned it. And I have not updated any system because you know, the Xbox one, I didn't get it because I didn't want to talk to it. And uh, the next system, you know, I'm saving up for. I still want to get a PS5 because I still want to get. You know, Resident Evil, you know, Spider-Man games are still exclusive. The Final Fantasy VII remakes have been exclusive to PlayStation. I don't know if that's going to change, but, you know, there's stuff exclusive to Sony that I want, but maybe I need to go both routes. Uh, a lot of Microsoft things, you can get an access to a Game Pass and play on your computer for some uh, Xbox games. So I might go that route uh, for being able to play on my PC for their streaming service, their Game Pass. Uh, but, wow, this was a heck of a kick, and uh, Microsoft already had acquired... Um, well, I forgot the name of the company now that makes, you know, Skyrim. And, you know, there's going to be an Elder Scrolls six eventually. And uh, this is the same company um, that uh, did the Evil Within 
games, the two of them, uh, which I, I I don't think I own the second one. I own the first one. I did play through it over this past Halloween season. But I, for some reason now, I'm not thinking of the name of that company. But Microsoft acquired that company a while back. Uh, so, I mean, can you imagine the next Skyrim game being an Xbox exclusive? That's going to that's going to just throw everything off. So, I mean, this was a huge move. And I would have thought this would make Microsoft similar to Disney, how Disney was able to acquire all these different uh, franchises and movie companies. This is Microsoft, in a way, doing the same thing. Uh, but it's still that makes them up only the third largest software company. Well, that's interesting. I really like my hot cocoa. So, yeah, that really shook. I'm sure you probably heard about that one. That shook things up a lot. Now, here's something that might shake you up a little bit. A Christmas story will get a sequel starring Peter Billingsley. Now, they have already made a second Christmas story, but I, I haven't watched it because I heard it's terrible. And it's a uh, little Ralphie as a teenager. But uh, here is what a synopsis of from you know this came from Screen Crush, but they're they're quoting stuff from uh, Deadline. Uh, the film's supposed to premiere on HBO Max. And here's the plot. The film follows an adult Ralphie in the 1970s who returns to the house on Cleveland Street to deliver his kids a magical Christmas like the one he had growing up. With the same attention to real life tone of the first, Ralphie reconnects with childhood friends, reconciles the passing of his old man, and sows the seeds for the origins of the beloved holiday classic. Now, it's possible. Um, maybe they could actually feed in a little bit with... Uh, I mean, granted, the author of the Christmas story, the book, and even he wrote the screenplay for the uh, both uh, both the first and the sequel, and also lent his voice to the uh, Carousel of Progress. Uh, I forgot his name off the top of my head, but he has since passed away. Uh, but maybe this um, gives a way for him to kind of you know be connected in there with like what inspired him to write all this down, because it's possible a lot of the stories he wrote in his book might have been based off actual things that happened to him. I don't know. But it, it does kind of make you wonder. Uh, but yeah, so we're getting a sequel. Uh, it'll probably be next Christmas when we get this out. And uh, i tell you what, uh, it, it was, I wasn't expecting that. It uh, came as a surprise to me. Well, let's get on with it, shall we? Mama, now the gator got in the house. Now the gator? Give me that shovel. Come here. Oh, get him, Mama. Oh. Get that gator. Ah. Ew. The Neverland Trailer Park. I'm telling you, man, you haven't seen anything like it. Hi, Tim. Hi, Alexa. <laughs> Yo, Riddle. We got it. Big E, you take the hit this time. Come on. Yes, good job. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. Pops, really? Mijo, ya tu sabes. Hey, it's just a play test. We're gonna change the angle here so they can really feel the hit. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, that's my sword. Can you keep it down? Yeah, it seems mainly we got music going on here at this point. You're getting to see a, a bit of a visuals for this game. Uh, basically, you've got a GM mode here. Let me see if I can read some of the things as it's playing along. For 2K22 WWE. That's my sword. March 11th, 2022. What's cool here, and you've got three playable versions of The Undertaker, because I guess we needed that. But Rey Mysterio finally getting put on the cover. It's a long time coming. They finally, I, they should have had him on that cover of one of these things a long time ago. I mean, he's still around. He's kind of legendary. Of course, when is The Undertaker going to get onto the uh, the cover? Has The Undertaker ever been on the cover of one of their games? Probably has, but, you know, it just seems appropriate that he should. Uh, but here's the roster. Uh, well, heck, it's just it's a really big roster. 79 characters. I'm not going to read this all off here. 
Uh, but they announced, and I don't even know who half these people are because I don't even pay attention to the WWE anymore. Uh, the odd thing is these, you've got an Undertaker in there, but you've got an Undertaker Lord of Darkness, which is back when he was doing like the ministry. There's an Undertaker Phantom Mask and an Undertaker WrestleMania 36 where he's doing the biker thing. Uh, these, they're marked as separate pre-orders. So you, if you pre-order, I guess you get these. It's probably downloadable content, uh, apparently, to get these. So you've got, uh, also, there's a Starcade 96 Rey Mysterio pack. Uh, NWO for Life Edition, which Philip I know, was excited about, where you get a Hollywood Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Six, and Eric Bischoff. And there's roster managers and non-player characters uh, like Paul Heyman, Shane McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, Adam Pierce, and Sonya Deville. I don't know who Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville is at all. Uh, this is the first game, though, with a one-year gap in development because this is going to release, you know, there's, there wasn't a game last year. Uh, so the expectations they're saying are huge. Uh, most, if not all, superstars from Raw and SmackDown will probably make it into the game, but it may not be the case with NXT like in the past, but we we'll, might be positively surprised if 2K focuses on modern wrestling and making the roster strong in talent. So, you know, looking at the uh, graphics in that trailer video, I mean, it, it's of course, it looks good. The one thing I had to notice is the facial animations, which, you know, in previous games. And maybe it's just the way that they had their camera angles set up there. In previous games, you don't notice that there's like a lack of facial expression. There's not a facial expression or something. But the facial expressions, the animation, uh, they're showing some moves go up kind of up close and you don't see a change in the face or expression at all. They look as if you had data from Star Trek and you were slamming him to the ground and he just doesn't react to it at all. Hopefully they're working on that one because if things are going to look better and you're going to have some close up shots, you kind of need to make them react, right? Mm. I had to refresh my coffee. Now it's super hot. Well, actually, this time it's not coffee. It's just plain on hot chocolate. I don't need that much caffeine, right? <laughs> so, I, for one, am not really super excited. I'd like to see what they've done with the new engine to make the gameplay maybe run a little better. Maybe less glitches. Because that's been the biggest problem they've had is the game gets glitchier every year. And uh, I know Philip will pick it up and I'll just go play it with him. And if I like it, maybe I'll pick one up myself. And mainly it'll just be because I want to create people. Now, the other trailer we have, as we mentioned before... Marvel Studios Moon Knight coming to Disney Plus as a series starring Oscar Isaac. Hello and welcome to Staying Awake. I have a sleeping disorder. I can't tell the difference between my waking life and dreams. Hello and welcome to Staying Awake. I'm losing it. We'll catch you on. You're bloody useless. Stevie. Steven. <laughs> I can't tell the difference between my eyes and, and dreams. dreams. Thank you. Lost a contact lens. Hope you find it. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God, you're alive. What's wrong with you, Mark? Why did you call me Mark? That must be very difficult. The voice is in your head. There's chaos in you. Embrace the chaos. Now, some of the description we have, really, uh, there's not much on their Marvel Entertainment YouTube page. Other than March 30th, coming to Disney+. Plus. Welcome to Chaos. Watch the new trailer for Marvel Studios Moon Knight. 
That's all it says. Doesn't really give anything. Now we notice there's definitely some differences between the Moon Knight we know from the comics and the Moon Knight we're going to get in this series. One of them being, instead of making his costume, it uh, seems to come at his call or something. It's it's forming on him uh, in one particular shot. Uh, so that's weird. Um, now Oscar Isaac. Uh, they, I found one article here on Marvel.com, uh, and that one is just says Moon Knight has arrived, a brand new trailer for the upcoming Marvel Studios series of the same name, along with the first look at a new poster debuted during the NFL Super Wild Card matchup, giving viewers a glimpse of the madness that will soon engulf star Oscar Isaac. Dive into the chaos in the video above and get ready for Marvel Studios Moon Knight arriving exclusively on Disney Plus March 30th. Here we go. Here's the important stuff, though. The series follows Stephen Grant, a mild-mannered gift shop employee who becomes plagued with blackouts and memories of another life. Stephen discovers he has dissociative identity disorder and shares a body with mercenary Mark Spector. As Stephen and Mark's enemies converge upon him, they must navigate their complex identities while thrust into a deadly mystery among the powerful gods of Egypt. Moon Knight stars Oscar Isaac, Ethan Hawke, and Maya Kalamawi. I hope I said that right. Mohammed Diab and a team of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead directed the episodes. Jeremy Slater is the head writer and Kevin Feige, Luis Despacito, Victoria Alonso, Brad Winderbaum, Mohammed Diab, Jeremy Slater and Oscar Isaac are the executive producers. Grant Curtis, Trevor Watterson and Rebecca Kirsch serve as co-executive producers. Now, Grant Curtis was a producer on the original Spider-Man films. I've actually gotten to see him speak. I think I shared the audio perhaps even on an episode. I'd have to go and check to see what I'm back when if I shared it. I remember recording it. He actually went to the same university that I went to. Uh, and we actually had some signed Spider-Man posters that were in uh, the offices of my department uh, from Grant Curtis because uh, he went through the same program I did. I want to sip my hot cocoa. I'm trying to keep my throat warm because uh, that, that cold, I still feel like I got gunk in my throat. But yeah, so he came and gave a little presentation. I'm pretty sure I shared it here on the show. I hope I did. If I didn't, uh, I unfortunately would have lost that audio by this point because I've lost that hard drive and I've got a friend of mine attempting to fix it and we'll just see what happens. But yeah, this from the look of it, it looks very cool. Now, Moon Knight is almost like Marvel's answer to Batman in a lot of ways. So normally this Steven person persona that Mark Spector has uh, is normally a millionaire Bruce Wayne kind of person uh that you know he develops you know that's how he can develop his weapons and that's kind of a disguise but um you know if they'd done if they'd went that way there would have been too many people who would have realized this is batman so here's a quote from moon knight uh this is directly on the marvel fandom the database here from mark specter of earth 616 which is the main marvel universe of the comics Let's establish some parameters. I'm not Spider-Man and I'm not the Punisher. They represent extreme ends of the same costume spectrum. I'm Moon Knight. And you all know that means one thing. No one in this room, myself included, knows precisely what I am capable of. I beat the Avengers. Imagine what I could do to any one of you. Let me just read some of this. Mark Spector is better known as the Vigilante Moon Knight. Once a mercenary, Mark Spector was left for dead in the desert, where he was revived by the moon god Konshu which we got to see Konshu in that trailer a little bit. Uh, appointed as Konshu's fist and high priest, Moon Knight enacts justice to protect those who travel at night. Moon Knight also has dissociative identity disorder. Some of their elders being mercenary Mark Spector, millionaire Stephen Grant, and cab driver Jake Lockley. Now, the dissociative identity disorder kind of came around because he was living different identities for a while, uh, to, to kind of disguise what he did. And now he's he's developed multiple personalities where he's the, each identity is no longer completely aware of each other. And that's one of the things that's always been considered with Moonlight is he's a little kooky. Uh, even had an appearance in, uh, let's see, Spider-Man Web of Shadows. And he is a he'll, he's a quest giver in that game. But you never know. It's like he's a little goofy. Seems to say stuff that Spider-Man is like, I always don't know about that guy. But yeah, so he's a little out there uh, with his mental stability. So, but all, but been a very, very interesting character. I have never really collected or read a lot, but he's got a good fan base, this character. 
Uh, in the beginning of his career, Mark fought crime on the streets with the help of a network of informants, including his best friend, Frenchie Ducamp, Duchamp? Duchamp, I don't know, the homeless Bertrand Crowley and diner owner Gina Landers. Since the early days, Mark has mostly worked alone, but he's also been a member of a few superhero teams, including the West Coast Avengers, the Secret Avengers and the Heroes for Hire. Recently, Mark discovered he had a daughter named Dietrice with his longtime lover, Marlene all Ron, uh, but when uh, No Shoes sets Mephisto's plans for world domination, Mark left her to fight by his god's side and prevent that from coming true. When No Shoes succumbed to madness, however, Mark had to turn against him and help the Avengers defeat him. Following No Shoes' imprisonment, Spectre established the Midnight Mission to offer his help to any Night Dweller who might need his assistance. And one personality that I've seen brought up, I've been watching some videos on some history of the character. He's also got, I believe it's Mr. Knight where he doesn't have the cloak and hood and whatnot. He's just got a mask on his body and he's wearing like a white, like suit, like a suit suit, you know, business suit, uh, which we don't know if that's actually going to come to fruition anywhere in the series at all. There's a lot of information really to dive into here. And let me just dive into some more of it. So Mark De- Spector, he's born in Chicago, Illinois. He's the son of a rabbi. He's, and as a child, he escaped Nazi persecution after Hitler invaded Czechoslovakia. Now, I'm pretty sure they're not going to go into that. The uh, historical timeline in the Marvel Universe doesn't always fit, but you do have characters that were supposed to have been around. I mean, heck, you even got Magneto, who was supposed to have been a Holocaust survivor, but uh, he would be ancient by now. Uh, so you, know, you kind of have to kind of take that as a grain of salt. That, that was part of the original stuff, and I'm pretty sure they will not get into that. He could probably still be a son of a rabbi, though. Uh, Mark couldn't understand why his father would never fight back against persecution. He grew up as the younger brother, Randall. His father would walk his kids to school every day, but him being a rabbi caused Randall to be bullied, but Mark was there to, to defend him. His father was disappointed with his boy's violent nature and their obsession with war. He believed that he should concentrate on their education, but his wife dismissed this as <laughs> boys being boys. In the last years of his childhood, Mark discovered by chance that a close friend of the family, Rabbi Itz Perlman, was actually in reality a Nazi deserter and secretly a serial killer of Jews named Ernst. Mark's fighting instinct kicked off for the first time when he fended off against Perlman to escape his grasp. Perlman later discovered or disappeared without a trace. This traumatic event also caused Mark to develop a dissociative identity disorder. The first alters developed by Mark were Stephen Grant and Jake Lockley. Shortly before Elias decided to intern Mark at the Putnam Psychiatric Hospital, Mark was, Mark was approached for the first time by the Egyptian deity Noshu, claiming to be Mark's true progenitor. After his father's death, Mark was allowed to leave the hospital temporarily to attend the funeral and a late luncheon, but after hearing Noshu's voice, he ran away. After his death, Mark resented his father, believing that Elias was embarrassed by him. Now, Mark became a Marine, served for three years. He did some tours in Iraq, had some bizarre behavior that was noticed, and got he was dishonorably discharged, and he ended up joining the CIA. I don't know how you'd end up getting into the CIA when you're dishonorably discharged from the Marines, but uh, okay. Now, he, I would come across some other people that would later end up interacting with him as Moon Knight, William Cross, Amos Lerner, and his brother, Randall Specter. Randall actually killed Specter's girlfriend, Lisa, with a hatchet to keep her from exposing a gun-running scheme. Specter retaliated with a grenade and assumed Randall was dead. Now, the, the, the main thing is, you know, when he, how he becomes Moon Knight, I'm going to skip ahead. So having found a purpose in life, Specter applied himself fully. He moved to New York with Frenchie, and Marlene, his now lover, and developed the costume, equipment, and persona of Moon Knight. This is, of course, after, you know, they, he was left for dead under an idol of Noshu, which was the original. I mean, some of this stuff has been retconned and added in, and some stuff came from his original origin back in the 70s, uh, which, you know, I, I think the dissociative disorder, I think, came along later as a retcon there, because uh, it doesn't even fit in with some of the stuff that I was uh, studying up on in history before I pulled up this page here. Uh, but anyways, he made a fortune uh, in gambling. Uh, in addition to support from New Career and Fighting Crime, began using his Stephen Grant persona as a financier and Jake Lockley as a cab driver whose purpose was to gather information at the street level. His original persona with his multiple facets faded into the background. Still, leading four separate lives put a great mental stress on Spectre. Lockley developed a network of informants, including the homeless Bertrand Crawley, diner owner Gina Landers, and her two sons, Ricky and Ray. So he's been around for a while. Has uh, fought Morpheus, uh, which I'm not. I don't know if I'm that familiar with uh, Morpheus. That's Robert Markham from Earth Six One Six. He's had a lot of different adventures. Uh, he's teamed with a lot of people. I believe he was even part of uh, the Maximum Carnage storyline 
which we talked about, uh, I think, last episode, didn't we? Uh, has been involved in the Infinity War and the Infinity Crusade. Let's see. During the Infinity War, Spectre had to contend with Moonshade, an evil twin of himself created by the Magus, or Magus, uh, himself an evil twin of Adam Warlock. Luckily, Moonshade suffered the same blunted focus caused by Spectre's multiple personalities, while Moonshade's threat had the effect of sharpening Spectre's own focus. Moonshade also had an Achilles heel, the adamantium in Spectre's new weapons. During another cosmic event, the Infinity Crusade, the Goddess, another aspect of Warlock, selected Spectre as one of the most spiritual beings on Earth, thanks to his near-death experiences and his devotion to Noshu. Uh, he's had a second death, even. My goodness. But yeah, so there's a lot of different stuff. Uh, I know, like, for a while, Marvel Knights, they had a... Uh, they were more adult version of comics. They were more grim... Uh, they had a Spider-Man book, a Punisher book, and a Moon Knight book, and I think maybe a few other characters. I think uh, Daredevil was part of the Marvel Knight series of books. They were, they're the ones that would allow Spider-Man to bleed out, you know, a bit more and uh, have to take lots of aspirin when he, you know, the morning after he'd been out running around. Uh, you know, they they get more gritty, uh, but you know, Moon Knight has always been a bit more of a gritty character now. What I'm going to wonder with a series on Disney Plus, will it be dark and gritty, kind of like a Netflix series, like what they did with Daredevil? Is it going to be like that, or will they try to lighten the tone just a little bit? I don't know. We'll see, because, I mean, it's a Disney Plus. They might want to uh, change the tone. Uh, let's look at his personality. He can be best characterized by his relationship with Noshu, and whether that is derived from his own mental illness or from an actual divine inspiration... When Mark Spector first awakened at the foot of Noshu's statue, it was ambiguous whether his survival was truly Noshu's doing or if Spector merely attributed it to the Moon God. Later stories introduced Noshu as an undeniably real god, employing Moon Knight as his agent. Subsequent takes on Moon Knight would attempt to walk back the revelation that Noshu was real, once again questioning whether to drive to be the Moon's Knight of Vengeance was all in Spector's head. Presently, it seems as if Mark Spector is both mentally ill and an agent of a higher power. Noshu does exist and has chosen Mark as his avatar, but Mark's mental illness sometimes causes him to experience conversations with a Noshu that is only in his mind, not with the actual god. There are also discrepancies over whether Mark Spector was, also, was already schizophrenic or dissociative from an early age, making him a convenient host for Noshu, or if Noshu imposed his mental condition upon Mark. Noshu is a god of multiple facets, and Mark Spector has taken on multiple identities in the past in order to properly represent all aspects of his god. This includes the original alter egos of Stephen Grant, Jake Lockley, and Moon Knight, and the representations of Captain America, Wolverine, and Spider-Man communicated with him, or his recent set of identities and attire like Mr. Knight. Unlike most superheroes, Moon Knight is willing to brutally hurt and maim his opponents, sometimes has even killed his enemies, as is seen by ripping the face off Raoul Bushman or carving crescents on his victims' foreheads. Powers and abilities! He's got some enhanced brain function after he was brought back to life by Noshu. His brain structure was fundamentally changed and being because he was in brain-to-brain -brain contact with Noshu. And his brain was rebuilt as a god's weapon. Uh, wow, that's weird. So, uh, he's also immortal. Moon Knight's pact with Noshu granted him the advantages of immortality. He's been brought back to life by Noshu on three occasions. He's an expert pilot. Uh, he actually trained his life as a boxer and, of course, a U.S. Marine mercenary costume hero. He's an Olympic-level athlete, skilled acrobat and gymnast, and excels as a combat strategist. Became an expert at hand-to-hand -hand combat techniques and various martial arts. Expert detective, an interrogation expert, a master marksman, and a weapons master, master martial artist, as was mentioned, uh, which it lists here boxing, judo, Krav Maga, Salat, Tambe, Savate, Eskrima, Karate, Muay Thai, and Kung Fu. He has fought the Punisher to a standstill. He's multilingual. He's fluent in English and Arabic. Uh, of course, he's proficient in both Egyptian and Sudanese dialects. Uh, he's got a pain resistance from insanity, torture, spiritually gifted, or simply numb from all the years of damage to his body. Moon Knight has an incredibly high tolerance and strong threshold for pain. He's got a bit of a telepathic resistance, probably because from the multiple personalities that he has. Uh, currently has the strength of a normal human male of his eyes or of his age, height and build, who engages in intensive regular exercise. He could formerly lift twice his body weight, 450 pounds, but since losing his powers, has been routinely weightlifting and is likely stronger. According to the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, Volume 19, at his strongest, under the light of the full moon, he can lift about two tons. His weaknesses is the fact that he's got brain damage and mental illness. Simple as that. 
He's got, uh, of course, the Moon Knight suit that he's created, a lot of uh, gear, a carbonadium armored vestment, and a glider cloak. A lot of different weapons, including crescent darts, which are kind of like the batarangs. Uh, a truncheon, crescent launcher pistols, an energy shield, web shooters, and Wolverine's claws. Hmm, that's interesting. Says Buckline created a pair of bracers which can be used as web shooters, like Spider-Man's, or metal claws, like Wolverine's. Uh, and a lot of other different weapons. Uh, he's, like I mentioned at the beginning of this, he's kind of Marvel's answer to Batman. So this could be a very, very exciting thing as it comes up. Uh, March 30th, Moon Knight on Disney+. Plus. Mama, now the gator got in the house. Now the gator? Give me that sugar. Come here. Get him, Mama. Get that gator. The Neverland Trailer Park. All right, now as promised, I think last show, uh, Philip and I sat around, we watched Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. Must say, uh, just flat out, it was a lot of fun. It's a really good movie. I think it makes a really good point. Um, being a, a gamer and you know knowing how a lot of people uh, treat non-player characters inside of a game, I think it made a point of pointing that out. That uh, maybe, maybe the way we play games reflects the way we actually you know act in the outside world or something. There are people who treat non-player you know characters. They like to do horrible things, and we do have games out there that kind of encourage it. You know, the Grand Theft Auto series. Uh, and heck, even Red Dead Redemption 2, you could be a really bad person if you really wanted to. And you could really persecute a lot of player characters, rob them, kill them, you know, beat them, whatever you want to do. There are some consequences as becoming wanted uh, and having the posse and the coming after you. And Grand Theft Auto, eventually you will have the police come after you. But you, there are games out there that encourage that sort of behavior. And there are certain games out there that you could kind of do it. One gaming channel that I do like to watch. I feel like I watch a lot of British people playing video games, but he's done goofy videos about how in Skyrim, he likes to go around the middle of the night, sneak into people's homes and murder them in their beds. Free guy takes that concept. It's like, well, what are you doing with non-player characters and you're mistreating them? What if a non-player character suddenly had an artificial intelligence? What if those non-player characters were, you know, able to think as a regular human would? You know, and it, 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 it starts asking that question and uh, goes into a different thing. And that's basically it's the beginning of your plot. Uh, there's reasons why an artificial intelligence has popped up within this online game, because really, this is an online game. And it's kind of a grand, the grand Theft Auto game. People go around and act like bad guys and, you know, and do all these different things. And Guy is a guy who works in a bank, and his job is to just let it get robbed every day. You know, it's just constantly getting robbed. And it's just part of life. But all of a sudden, he gets awakened. Uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to really say anything. I don't want to spoil anything, but he gets kind of awakened to the fact that he's in a game with the help of a, a player who is trying to basically, you got some of the plot of Tron that's kind of going on where someone has to go inside the game to somewhere in there is the evidence that I created this, uh, that kind of a thing. That's pretty much the, the plot of what's going on in free guy. Uh, the overall over, overarching part, but it's really a lot of fun. And I actually had some serious laugh out loud moments towards the end in a, in a big confrontation. I mean, literally loud laughing. I, this movie was really, really fun. It does have some seriously woke kind of moments that kind of pop up, but you can kind of dismiss it. If it kind of roll your eyes like, Oh, seriously. But really, I, I had a good time with this movie. Free guy is a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, it's very funny. You can tell that originally, before Disney bought uh, 21st Century Studios, this was going to be an R-rated Ryan Reynolds film. And then it seems like they tried to tone a few things back, but there's still a few off-color jokes that are close. They could just like see how close we could get to an R before we got there. So be advised. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd recommend this necessary for kids. It is PG-13 after all. You know, parents use discretion. You know, maybe a 13-year-old kid would be fine. Uh, but uh, yeah, overall, very enjoyable. But I could see where they certain th jokes that are in there are like, whoa, that's a bit much. But it seems like this was their tone ver tone tone down version of that joke. That's uh, not to get the R rating. But overall, lots of fun. Highly recommend. Uh, definitely check out Free Guy. It's been already out in theaters. It's available, I think, for purchase digitally, probably out on Blu-ray by now as well. All right. So the final thing I want to get into. Activision. Let's talk a little bit about this company that uh, was just acquired by Microsoft. So this was founded October 1st, 1979 in Sunnyvale, California by former Atari game developers. They were upset at how they were treated at Atari. They wanted to develop their own games for the popular Atari 2600. 
And so Activision actually was the first independent third-party console video game developer. The 1983 video game crash in part created too, too, uh, created by too many companies trying to follow Activision's footsteps without the expertise of Activision's founders hurt Activision's position in console games, forcing them to diversify into games for home computers, including the acquisition of Infocom. After a management shift with CEO Jim Levy replaced by Bruce Davis, the company renamed itself as Mediagenic and branched out into business software applications. Mediagenic quickly fell into debt. The company was bought for around $500,000 by Bobby Kotick and a small group of investors in 1991. Now, let me get into like notable games published is what I really want to look into. This is a long list of Activision. I'm, I can almost guarantee if you've played any video games, you've played some of these. There was Fishing Derby, Boxing, Skiing, Freeway, Ice Hockey, Kaboom, Stampede, Laser Blast, Tennis, Mega Mania, Barnstorming, Enduro, Chopper Command, Star Master, Pitfall, River Raid, Oink, Oink, yeah, Oink, Beam Rider, Hero, H-E-R-O, Little Computer People, Hacker Series, Shanghai Series, Transformers Series. They still have the rights, even up through 2017 on Transformers. That's interesting. Last Ninja Series, Death Track, and the Mech Warrior Series. This is all stuff from the 80s. And we get into the 90s. We've got Hunter, Zork, Dark Rain, Heavy Gear, Quake, Interstate, Battle Zone, Sin, Heretic 2, Vigilante 8, Tenchu. I've only played like a couple of those. Call the Power, a Star Trek series of games from 1999 to 2003, and the Tony Hawk games. In the 2000s, Soldier of Fortune, an X-Men series of games, Spider-Man games. Uh, yeah, I think they did the releasing, uh, although I never stopped. I know it created some of them, but Spider-Man, uh, even with some other companies, was, uh, you know, Activision was at least publishing the games. Uh, Lost Kingdoms, Total War, Call of Duty. Yeah, that's a big one there. Uh, True Crime, Wolfenstein, Shrek, Doom 3, Madagascar, the movies. I've got that game. It's uh, the movies. It's kind of like a sim type of game where you're you're creating movies. You get a movie studio. It's kind of fun. Uh, Gun. Uh, I actually played through that one. I rented that one. It's kind of a Western game. Guitar Hero, Marvel Ultimate Alliance series, the James Bond series of games from 2008 to 2012. Crash Bandicoot and Spyro the Dragon. Those are two big ones that were Sony. I mean, uh, Crash Bandicoot was kind of a Sony um, mascot for a while. And Spyro kind of was one. And uh, guess what? Yeah, that could be a problem. Also, the prototype series. Here in the 2010s, there has been Blur, Singularity, NASCAR games, Skylanders, SpongeBob SquarePants games, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games. I guess Konami couldn't keep it forever. Destiny and then Sekiro Shatters Die Twice, which I believe was developed by From Studio. Uh, so they've mainly been a publisher of a lot of games. But that's that's a lot. That is a lot of games that Activision has been responsible for. And a lot of series, and a lot of franchises that could continue. Now, as perhaps Microsoft Xbox exclusives. We'll see. But yeah, that was kind of our main concept. Uh, had I had someone here with me, it would have been fun to discuss some memories of playing some of these Activision games. Heck, I remember, though, at least the PlayStation Spider-Man game Activision. I mean, Neversoft developed it, but Activision uh, and Neversoft were kind of, you know, teamed up. And even like that, I mentioned the Tony Hawk games. Uh, but everybody was going to remember Pitfall, playing Pitfall in that. Uh, you all remember on your I think that's the biggest ones with that Activision. That I remember is like those Atari games uh, that was like the casing was different. All like the labeling was a little different uh, for the Activision games. And there was a whole series of because uh, the Atari games, the ones that they released themselves were kind of like an almost all black cartridge. And they just had some print and the Activision games would have a nice full label on there with a picture of screens. Uh, and a lot of times, like even Atari games, they might have like a front picture i think eventually because i think i remember the superman game having all pictures of superman there was some great atari artwork um that was you know at least on the box and not always necessarily on the cartridge uh, if, our, if our memory serves it's been a long time uh with the atari uh but you know remembering also other games heck i think even they were publishers for the original legacy of kane with silicone knights uh you know uh, they probably even were publishers for the soul reavers series of games after that but they have been involved in games since 1979. I mean, this is a very big acquisition. Uh, this is a game changer for sure. So we'll see what how this is going to work out. But yeah, I'm sure you've got some great memories playing these games. I remember in you know, heck Pitfall. I didn't realize there was a way to actually beat Pitfall. I've, I found on YouTube there is a um, collection of treasures and a timer. And the idea is you're supposed to be able to go and find every treasure in the game and then you win. Now, did you know that was possible? I didn't know that was possible until a few years ago, and I found a video of somebody plotting the course, like, this is the path you follow to collect all the treasures in Pitfall. 
And since then, you know, Pitfall has become a series. There's Pitfall 2 and 3, and, a, and I think even there was a PlayStation Pitfall games. But I didn't play. I mainly just played the original Pitfall. Uh, you know, it's a classic. It really is. It is a classic. It's difficult as heck, too. Uh, there's people who got good at it, though, but uh, I never really got that good at it. But it was still fun to play. But anyways, uh, I figure it's about time we wrap this up. So, of course, I want to remind you to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. You know what? Because right on that page, you will find links to uh, my podcast reviews. You can even read a few reviews that are on there. But my podcast reviews for, I think it's like $50 a year. I mean, it's really, really, really affordable. You can get all your reviews sent to your inbox. You can see what's going on. It also makes it very easy if you go on the website, on my website, you, of course, you can click directly on the logo for my podcast reviews if you have a podcast and you'd like to be able to get your reviews. And also, I've got a convenient link where you can leave reviews. And please do leave a review. Those do mean a lot to, to, to know how things are doing. You know, leaving five stars. It does help the other people find us. Make sure you're sharing the show with other people. Uh, I, you know, we've got, I've, I almost feel like I've gotten a little stagnant and uh, COVID kind of slowed things down and really affected a lot of this show. And I want to be able to keep it going, but... Uh, I do have some plans for what I want to do in the future, including Planet Comic Con. I'm working on some ideas that I need to coordinate with some people. And when I go to Planet Comic Con this year in Kansas City, well, I, there might be about three panels. Who knows that I have? And of course, I will record that audio and share those later. But of course, I want to thank Karen Kennedy, Ricky Pope of Christian Nerds Unite, and Darren Wilhite of the Will and, uh, Will Height and Wall Show for contributing to the opening of this show. Remember to email us, podcast at neverlandpodcast.com. We're on Twitter, NeverlandPCast, and on Facebook as Neverland Podcast. We have both a group and a fan page. And as I like to remind you all, get lost in an adventure. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.